We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. The first time ever translated into English, we're talking The Flowers of Buffoonery by Osamu Dazai today. What is buffoonery? in Japanese. Doki no Hana is the original Japanese uh, translated into English, I should point out, by Sam Bet, the legendary Sam Bet, who's translated many of our favorite Miyako Kawakami stories. Buffoonery sounds way cooler. <laughs> it's just a fun, <laughs> silly word to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, and, and to that point, when we look at the, the English reaction to the story, I imagine if you're fluent in Japanese, you're reading some of these reviews, because I was, and I'm like, why are we calling it a prequel? A prequel to me means it comes out later and precedes that in time. But this came out before basically No Longer Humans. So No Longer Humans, technically the sequel. <laughs> I was a little bit confused that as well because we had read No Longer Human and then discussed that there was, quote, the sequel coming out, The Flowers Buffoonery. And I thought, oh, okay. Because you think, oh, this is going to be before that story, right? Because mm -hmm. I feel like No Longer mm -hmm. Human starts you off as the kid, gets you to pretty far in Yozo's life, and then what is this story going to provide us? And I kind of had the misnomer that it was going to be more maybe like of his childhood or that it was going to be more about like his parentage, his heritage, his family kind of as the prequel. When we look at this, this is the dawn of Yozo. Right, 1935 is when this comes out, I think, at least in Japan. And to me, I think you still have a lot more of youthful energy. You have the, you know, when you're young, when it comes to addressing the truth, you got a lot of different types of people out there, don't get me wrong. But I think as a whole, it's harder to directly tackle hard subjects, that you're more likely to deflect, defer, because maybe you don't understand the feelings. Maybe you're not at that level where you can, you know, where you are equipped to be able to understand. I just attempted to end myself. This woman I was with did. And what does that mean now? Right? So to immediately turn around and have this jovial, joking camaraderie between friends, we start to question What's the real story here? And that is kind of a juxtaposition, right, of such a serious topic to such a jovial story. And to kind of get back to the book or novel as a whole is the way I would kind of classify this is it is kind of a, a sequel and an in-depth peek behind the curtains into a specific time period that is a very short section in No Longer Human that is, you know, you're, you're taking a microscope to a piece that's kind of glossed over quickly in No Longer Human and going very in-depth. And so The Flowers of Buffoonery is sort of a sequel into a specific part of Yozo's life. 
And I also think it's worth mentioning, and it's very important, I think, to note is this book is written very differently because it felt like that Desai was giving his own inputs over and over and over again of himself, right? He, he's, uh, the, he's his own worst critic. And you just see that like mid-paragraph, he just sneaks this sentence in and you're like, oh, Okay, I understand now why maybe you did that. And those little insights, I think, are crucial. So reading this before or after would probably work, but I'm definitely glad that I read this after No Longer Human. I think that narrative energy is clearly different, as you said. The way the narrator... Okay, so if we're looking at one of the main themes of this story is deflection is self-defense mechanisms even, the way that we use humor and joking to avoid some of these deeper subjects, maybe too, so does the author use the intrusive elements of himself, self-insertion into the story to say, oh, I should never have introduced these characters this way. It also deflects, I think, from the emotions at the scene. It, it can be very jarring for readers, right? And it almost pulls them out in the same way that we use humor to deflect from getting to that deeper meaning in some ways. There's, you know, to give a flavor of it for someone who hasn't read it and is like, should I read this story? You know, here's an interesting quote. There could be no better name for my protagonist, Olba, flawlessly encapsulates his vigorous spirit while Yozo, I must say, has pizzazz, right? So, so he's <laughs> almost like <laughs> telling us he's self-congratulating himself on this character's name in the story, this isn't a foreword. This isn't like a, a prologue or something like this. This is the author injecting himself mid-story, mid-paragraph sometimes, to tell us about how he felt when trying to write the story. And I do appreciate that at times, even as jarring as it is, it gives me insight that I never would have had before. And I really desperately wanted that insight and no longer human because I had so many questions because Yozo was such a living, breathing character to me. And I had multiple discussions with you about it. We recorded a whole video about it. My wife and I still talk about that book and still talk about Yozo and, you know, trying to think about how we would, you know, react, interact, diagnose, you know, uh, help an individual like that. Uh, he just he's such an interesting character. And, and, and I, I appreciate those insights. I also think, is Desai one of those individuals that was looking for a, a compliment? Is he fishing? You know, that person that we probably all have a friend like that that's like, oh, um, I did terrible or I'm so stupid. No, you didn't, guy. You're awesome. You know, you're wonderful. You did such a good job. Look at this. You know, they're trying to look for that, uh, you know, help when they know that they did bad. And it, sometimes it feels like that he's doing that. I think... You are correct that the the way Desai is engaging with us as a reader is he's trying to elicit a response. Is it self-affirmation? I, I, that, that's hard to say because at the same time, when he looks at what happened with him, so, so okay, let, let's take a step back. Is what's happening here in this book 100% fiction? No. Is it 100% you know, biography, nonfiction? No. No. It's somewhere in between. It's this iNovel right. experience, right? I think you might have read a little bit into Desai's life if you didn't know. At this time, he had at least tried to end himself twice. Once was, yes. uh, I think it was like either October or December of 29. 
can't remember. But then the other was like right, right when he had left school, basically. I think he got expelled and within a matter of like oh, two weeks or something like that, he tried to basically do the same thing the way this book starts. So the book starts with him being discovered by a fisherman boat after him and this woman named Sono basically tried to do a dual suicide. And and Desai had done the same thing in his real life where he had tried to do this with a, a bartender or something like that. I can't, I can't remember exactly. But she didn't make it and he did. In the same way in the story, the woman didn't make it and he did. And in the same way that he was discovered by a fishing boat, questioned by authorities, and then ultimately kind of exonerated by his family's influence uh, to not have charges pressed against him. Well, gosh, that looks a lot like the story and structure behind what is the plot of The Flowers of Buffoonery too. So you, so you have to imagine he's putting himself out there. And maybe I think some critics might find that this book is too dismissive or doesn't go deep enough. Give it time, right? This just came out in, in, in English. You and I have only read this once, but we need more time to sit with it. But, but I think there's design here, right? Even from when we look at the the chapter titles, like all those hiragana characters, that's the doha, which if you didn't know is an old poem, which it's a poem where it uses each letter of the Japanese language once and one time only. So imagine being able to write a poem in English using A only once, B only once, C only oh, once. Oh, wow. That's cool. Right? It's a little bit harder in English because of the usage of vowels being separated, like Japanese is phonetic with, with their the way that the hiragana are written, right? But there's a very clear design for what you're going for there. And that sequence is a lot of times used for numbering like legal documents or medical documents, right? The way that we look at this story is almost a medical diagnosis or walkthrough of what's happening with Yozo. And that's the problem. The same problem we had in No Longer Human is we're trying to get past that mask, right? And he's yep. constantly using humor and deflection to mm -hmm. divert us perhaps from the pain that's really happening. Because if you remember, when the police come and talk to him, he's stone-faced, right? But then as soon as the police left, what happens? He broke down and cried. Yep. Yeah. I also feel like Desai is doing that, and again, that I novel kind of way, because there's parts of this story that feel off a little bit, I would say, especially when they're talking about like the nurses or when they're talking about some of the other patients in the other rooms or out on the balcony, these seem to be those diversions, those distractions within the story itself as well that we shouldn't focus too much on because then we'll see the truth of that Yozo has some major issues to deal with. I mean, he just tried to unalive himself and it seems to just be, hey boy, you seem good. Let's play some cards. And it's just like, we're not playing cards because we want to. It's because it's a distraction. Everything in the story is just distraction. It's like beautiful nurse, beautiful C, playing cards, joking with my boys, you know, uh, getting mad and fighting with my brother. Nothing is hitting what is the true problem here. Yozo never addresses that. Desai never addresses that of what is the problem and how can we fix that? He just sits around smoking all day and magically he's going to get better. And that is incredible that we are seeing true insight of how some people really live their lives. And a lot of us can relate to that, that we never really address head on our actual mental problems. We just skirt them. We never take hold of what is truly wrong. Isn't that also somewhat 
problematic that we can be so formulaic that if you follow this formula, you're perceived as human, right? You talked about the beautiful nurse. Well, you remember there's several references to the scar above her eye and she won't reveal it. She doesn't reveal about how she was called like Hotaru, like Firefly almost by, by, by coworkers or friends or something like that. And then even like the way that like Hida changed, I think like his major, cause he was so inspired by Yozo's uh, eye for art, right? Yeah. And what is art, but a representation of reality in the same way that these people are representing reality, how they truly feel with these, these jokes, these games, it's all a way of deflecting reality. You know, I, I, interestingly enough, you know, with how formulaic we can be and how easy it is to deflect, which I think is kind of a problem. I was uh, reading this, this article where this, this ex FBI agent was talking about how, when he was tracking someone or he was following someone, uh, what, what, what would he do? when people started to sm smell him out, right? Like, Oh, like, is, is that guy, is that guy doing something? He would start to pick his nose. Cause he knew that when people saw him picking his nose, they'd look away. Cause it's like embarrassing or gross. Right. So if you have that power to, to just do something that like, that is not expect expected by society, like picking your nose, that it diverts the true attention from where you do need to be looking isn't that saying something about how easy it is to manipulate us? I would definitely agree that a lot of times some people are easily manipulated. Uh, I think that it, it comes down to those social norms, right? Those social cues. And Yozo has become a master of reading a room, a master of reading people, and how to navigate that safely to keep his mask in place, to keep his true feelings buried. And I think that a lot of us do that because we don't want no, we don't want people to know the true us but also society hasn't allowed us to come out and be the true us that's just not something that's socially acceptable you know how are you i'm good how are you good thanks have a great day bye like it just it's it, it, it's so informal there there's nothing that's very personal about it and that you know it, it's very fake and that becomes the accepted way of how we handle inter interactions between people even people that are seen as quote good friends like yozo and his friends their relationships are so trivial they have no real meaning in conversation and i think mano mano i don't know how to say her name but she seems to point that out all the time as well. All the boys do is seem to joke. They never seem to have any real interaction with one another. They just go about their business. Like they don't want to talk about the hard, gritty truth of life and what's really going on with them. Oh, there's even a quote. They say, young people never say anything straight. You can tell they're being honest if they hide behind a laugh. Oh, that's good. And I don't know about you, but it really made me think about this quote. It's often mis attributed to Robin Williams while he delivered the line. He didn't actually write it, but it was from a 2009 film, but this was circulating a lot after Robin Williams, you know, made it, made a very hard choice to, to kind of end things. But there's this quote that I think is very profound. It said, I used to think that the worst thing in life was to end up alone. It's not the worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel alone. So oh. maybe that distraction is avoiding some hard truths, but maybe it's necessary. Maybe sometimes that humor, the way that these boys, and it even talks in the narrative how they would sometimes meld together, they would mirror each other's images, their interests, mm -hmm. their, their good nature. 
because it strengthened their bond, that sometimes it's necessary to play that mask in order to feel more love, to feel happiness in some regards. And we start thinking about happiness and sadness. It, it takes me to the end of the story when Yozo and Mano go off at the end and it, it's it's cold and they're going to see Mount Fuji and the snow's around. It, 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 it seems to give Ho- Yozo a little bit of hope, but then he gets back to the spot and he kind of looks over. And I thought it was interesting that the sanatorium or the mental health facility he's at seems to be near where he jumped. And I'm like, is this that like type of therapy where like exposure therapy, like we are going to see your fear and overcome it? Like, why would they do that to Yozo, somebody that seems so fragile? Why? Because they don't truly know him. And I guess that's what it comes down to of, of does I, maybe it was a cry for help of, do we ever truly know somebody and how can we know somebody? And if we do, can we help them? Would we like them after the fact? Would we want to still continue knowing them and help them once we we get below those layers? And as they look over and uh, they can't see Mount Fuji, it's kind of heartbreaking and just it pulls you right back into that no longer human story. And I'm just like, oh, I need more of this man's life because he's such an interesting character and such an insight into, you know, I think humanity. It can be hard, right? Because in the same way that these characters use regression as self-defense to resort to a childlike state, right? Almost like returning to innocence in a sense. How can you get to know someone when they when they truly do divert like that? When, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking in our No Longer Human talk about his family, about how he's kind of invisible. And at first, I'm like, oh my gosh, his family's coming to see him at the hospital? Like, did I really understand? Did I misread that part of No Longer Human? And that's when they talk about how, you know, sometimes family's just viewed as this bank account, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's that one quote in the novel and how the family didn't care about Yozo. They just wanted to make sure that his name was exonerated to protect him, to protect probably their own family in some regards. Brother didn't even ask about him half the time, right? Just showed up. Here's what you say. Here's what you need to do just to clear him of the law and wrongdoings because they didn't care about how Yozo was doing. They cared about how others impacted themselves, which is another form of like a selfish drive as opposed to like that connection. And that's typical, right? I think in many societies, uh, especially in Western culture here, that you aren't supposed to ask how you're doing. And if you do, it again, it's going to be a superfluous, superficial, yeah, I'm good. It's not going to be, I'm awful, man. I'm depressed. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Uh, my art sucks and I hate everything. Like, what if Yozo just started word vomiting all of his issues? Like, what would his brother do? What could he do? And I, I think it's that that shield that we all have up in society that we are not going to get to those finer points. We're not going to get to those details. His brother um, and him are, you know, they're 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 not family really, only in blood. They they can't go to each other for support, and that just that that breaks my heart. And I guess that's something that is bring being brought to the forefront of maybe we should try to break down those social norms and be able to cry and hug and support one another through everything and not, you know, just be like, hey, I got a joke for you, bro, man. <laughs> that, that we, you know, we can be more supportive of one another. Yeah. You've brought up art a couple times, I've noticed in this discussion, right? 
the and art is a big part of Yozo and how he expresses himself and Hida, as well as the art of this author talking about, oh, I'm so clumsy. I introduced these two characters after this scene was woven so perfectly. Um, clearly, art as expression or consumption, right? Because they do talk, there's that to, uh, quote where they talk about how even the greatest masterpiece is no more than a commodity, just like a pair of socks. How did how did the usage of art impact you with this story? I don't know if I have a specific answer for you, but I think of the book is art itself, obviously. Yozo and his art is some type of expression, but it's always in such a negative manner, right? The art is always never good enough. His art is, you know, um, downplayed by his brother. It, it's not treated as a real job. Um, he has basically one fan, <laughs> you know. Uh, he himself seems, you know, self-deprecating on his own art, um, or it's viewed as so simple, simplistic, I think is how it's described a couple of times. I think that it was an outlet, I think that it could have been a cry for help. I think a lot of times we put things that we can't say, we can't use our words because there maybe there not might not be a word for it, uh, or we don't know how to express ourselves through our words. And that art is a way to do that, uh, you know, visually of of how we feel. And maybe that's how Yozo feels about himself. Is he just he seems so plain, although he's supposed to be putting on much more because he's been tricking everybody of who he truly is since a child, becoming that jokester because we read the other book. That this is who he truly is is just this very simple man that isn't the jokester. He doesn't want to be that, and this art is an insight to his real feelings. Yeah. We've, we've talked to before about how art in mimesis, you know, representing the internal to the external representing reality in art. And I think, I think you've got a very interesting line there where you said that his art was never good enough. Right. And if we view Yozo, who was always self-deprecating thinking he, he was never achieving what, what he needed to, he was never performing to what society did. And I don't, I mean, obviously he wrote this in 1935 with No Longer Human coming out, you know, 13 years later in 1948. If we'll check out our talk on that. We have a very interesting quote here that I thought I'd kind of read to us real quick here that's on page 30 of this. I'm horrified by failure. I can't bear to have the secrets of my heart revealed, but such efforts are in vain. Ah, are not all authors the same? So quick to dress up their confessions? I barely qualify as a human. Will I ever be a functional member of society? Even as I write these words, I worry how the sentences will sound. Dang. I think they, he hits it on the nail on the head. I think that a lot of our authors, they're, they're going through turmoil, and that's how they express themselves, only be through the written word. Are they good at it, but not the verbal word? And Yozo is his verbal word. And no longer human is his written word. And he barely qualifies as a human. That's a cry for help that is, it's very sad to have lost someone so young, someone so talented too, that uh, obviously he felt alone. And that's kind of sad to hear. So definitely, it's heartbreaking. Uh, I would definitely like to take a second pass at this one and maybe dive a little bit deeper into some of the analytical parts of it um, and maybe do more of kind of a, a 
combination, uh, read both of them together, No Longer Human and Flowers of Buffoonery, and, and take a deeper dive. Again, first pass through was kind of, you know, very surface level. Uh, I think that going to some more of the, the details of, you know, what's happening between the friends, the boys, the nurses, I think there can be a lot to be revealed there um, beyond what we just, you know, kind of scratched the surface at so far. Yeah, 100%. First read. Uh, very, very happy with the first read. I'd be more than happy to return to it in the future, you know, and kind of splash some of the water above the surface as the boys did not want to have happen, if you will. So <laughs> <laughs> great story. Highly recommended. Obviously, if you haven't read it, I know some people watch these just to get a feel for it and to get kind of an idea of some of the analysis because the plot isn't really where it is for, for the stories that we choose. It's all about that discussion and deeper meaning. Let us know what you guys thought of this story. Did you just kind of scratch the surface? Did you find a lot of depth there? Maybe not as much as No Longer Human, but there's still a lot there for any type of a design writing. So I hope you guys check it out. Look forward to hearing from you in the comments. My name's been Una. Peace. Peace.